0: Good morning. What makes makes me happy? Oh, that's a good question. See, I wasn't expecting to have to answer questions. I have everything I was going to say written out. Oh, what makes me happy? Well, my family makes me happy, and being with uh, my family, and um, my sister is going to be coming in next week, and she's pregnant and going to be having a baby this spring, so that makes me happy. And um, Yeah, I... I could do without the gifts and just be with family, and, and that would make me happy. So, and I'm also happy to be here. I'm also happy to be here with all of you um, for worship and to be here. That might sound like pandering, but I am really happy to be here uh, and to be with you all. And um, and especially after all that snow, to be here with you all. Believe it or not, I missed you all last Sunday. So, I'm glad to be back. Our gospel lesson this morning comes to us from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Luke 3, 7 to 18. John said to the crowds that came to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, Oh, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. And even the tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. And the soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from, the, from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. And as the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah... And John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming, and I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chafe he will burn with the unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we lit the pink candle this morning, um, we celebrate the Advent Sunday of joy. And isn't this such a joyous scripture? I mean, you brood of vipers! Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It just exudes that joy of the Christmas season, doesn't it? It just fills your heart with warm and gladness. I can hear the bells in the background when I, when I read that scripture. Okay, so we'll get to the joy part a little bit later in the sermon. Uh, because truthfully, John the Baptist is not all that concerned with joy in the scripture, at least not here. In fact, his words seem, dare I say, confrontational. Um, It doesn't seem like somebody, it's amazing to me that people were going out to him to to find him. They they wanted to be baptized by him. And and like any good pastor, when someone comes to you and says, hey, I'd like to be baptized, you tell them, you're going to burn in hell. At least that's how it feels when you read this scripture. But you see, there's a reason why John the Baptist is coming at us so confrontational this morning. He's having to confront and shake people free from their long-held cultural and religious misconceptions. see, Dating back into the Old Testament, there was a long-standing ideology, a belief in this kind of divine mandate that the Jewish people and the Jewish government, that there was this sense of privilege, that they were chosen among everybody else and and they were set apart and, and blessed. And so by nature of that, whatever they did had to have been blessed. In fact, this is Throughout much of the Old Testament, the fighting back and forth between the prophets and the kings was all about the kings believing that, well, we're, we're, we're allowed, we're chosen, we can do whatever we want. And the prophets standing up and saying, well, actually, that's not what God wants from you. And so here again, John the Baptist acting as that, as that prophet is coming at the people and saying, we need a change in how we live our lives. We need to change from this sense that we are somehow better than everyone else. And unfortunately, we as Christians, I think, have kind of adopted some of those same bad habits and ideologies. One of the things that I, I've heard throughout my ministry is people saying things like, well, I don't I don't really need to go to church. I, I, I can... I can do all that God stuff on my own at home. Or, uh, you know, I, I, I watch televangelists on Sunday morning, so I'm, I'm really good. I don't, I don't need to come into church. Um, there, I think there was a song many years back called, Me and God Got a Good Thing Going. Um, that's the kind of theology I like to, I kind of compare it to that. It's the sense that, you know, I just, it's just me and God, just me and God. I, I don't need all the rest of, well, you all. But one of the things that John Wesley said was that there is no, well, there's no such thing, there's no biblical understanding of holiness without social holiness. In fact, this idea that somehow, you know, we, we are we're saved, so we don't have to do anything. Once we get, you know, baptized and saved, we're good we don't need to worry about anything else. We're, we're covered. It's kind of like a checklist theology. Like, well, I, I got baptized. I, I go to church every now and again. I, I just need to make all these checklist things. And that kind of understanding of grace, that, that we're blessed and we're, we're chosen and, and there's nothing more that we need to really worry about, is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would have called cheap grace. He states that it's cheap grace because it's grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. It's grace without Jesus Christ. See, we as United Methodists do believe that we are saved by grace through faith, but we also believe that that grace is a responsible grace. Like Bonhoeffer, we believe that grace calls us into faithfulness and a life of of discipleship, And you can hear in this morning's text, that's what John is fighting against, this cheap grace. For even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit will be thrown in the fire. And he tells them, he says, don't rely on the fact that you are a descendant of Abraham. Because God could raise up these stones to be descendants of Abraham but instead be reliant on good fruit. What he's telling the Jewish people is, your chosenness means nothing if it does not result in bearing good fruit. And what he's telling us as Christians this morning is the same thing. Your savedness means nothing if it does not bear good fruit. So what does it mean to bear good fruit? What does it mean to be good disciples? Well, John gives us a bit of an outline this morning for what he views as discipleship in three different ways. The first, be generous. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Years ago, someone shared the story of a man that they met on a subway in New York City, named Eric. Do you know Eric? You're from New York. No? Yeah, totally. It's a small town, right? The story goes that they, every day, Eric hopped on the subway with a bag full of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a box of juice box or a, like a package of juice boxes and he would hand them out to anyone who was hungry his motto being you don't have to be homeless to be hungry it's an act that he does completely on his own without with just the pure generosity of his own heart he knew that hunger is a need that is everywhere and can seek out everybody and so he was tr- attempting to be a part Of the solution. The person who originally posted the story commented, It doesn't take much more than a few jars of peanut butter and jelly and a loaf of bread to make a big difference. Generosity doesn't have to be grandiose, it just needs to fill a need out of the abundance that we already have. The second lesson from John this morning, be fair. When the tax collectors asked what they should do, he responded, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Be fair. Now you may be thinking, well, Ryan, life isn't fair. You just have to get used to it. And that's true. Life isn't fair. Most of us in this room have experienced that fact for ourselves at some point. But we as Christians we're called to make it fair. We're called to make the world a fair place. We live in a world full of injustices children without health care or without schooling workers without a fair wage or benefits and the list could go on and on all day. And while it feels like there are so many injustices like we don't even can't even count the things that are wrong in our world that are unfair sometimes you just have to find one place to get started like the work with to our house and the work that they're doing to fight and end homelessness and to get people back on their feet the other week i had a chance to talk with melvin uh who was here with running the to our house helping to run that um and as I was talking to him, I started to get a, a deeper understanding. I, well, I'm not from here, so I didn't know what To Our House was before uh, we started talking about it a couple months ago. And talking with Melvin, I started to understand as he explained to me that it wasn't just about giving people a place to sleep at night. It was about helping people to find stability in their lives and to give them the tools that they need to succeed in life. I didn't know any of that kind of stuff, but it was—it was, I think, eye-opening to me to see that this wasn't just about that night or this week that we had to cover, but the work that they do was about helping people to transition from from staying in churches at night to staying um, in a home that's run by, to our house. And that from there, the goal is to help them to find a place that they can live on their own and to slowly give them the tools that they need um, for health care and for finding jobs and for finding places to stay. And it's about transitioning them. It's about finding fairness for them. Lastly, John calls us to be content. And when the soldiers asked what they should do, John replied, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. Sometimes I think this might be one of the hardest pieces because our culture wants us to be discontented. Hence all of the advertisements for the last well millennial um, or for the last hundred of years, but, but really, you can really see it in those Christmas advertisements, can't you? For the last two or three months of, this is what you have to have. Oh, that old one that you had is trash. You have to have this new one. Um, I, I have an iPhone, so I feel like I can say this. Every, what, two years, they put out a brand new iPhone, right? And every two years, it's the same thing. That old iPhone that you have, it's, it's junk. You need this new one. It's shiny. And it's got all these new features, and now you can't plug a headphone into it, or whatever the case may be. But it's all about not being content, because you need to buy that next thing. But John is calling us to be content with what we have. A number of years ago, my grandmother... Uh, we had all reached the, her grandkids had all reached that age where, you know, it becomes kind of impossible to figure out what to buy for your grandkids. I don't have grandkids, but I know this from her. And she she, she got to the point where she was like, I don't know what to buy you all anymore. So here's what I'm going to do. Instead of buying you any kind of gift or book or whatever it may be, I'm going to purchase a cow or a duck or to send to us, but to give to Heifer International. I don't, if, if, have you ever heard of Heifer International? And so she would buy a duck or a cow or a sheep or whatever on our behalf. And we'd always get that little letter of, you know, a duck has been purchased in honor of you and given to this community. And it would tell you what, what that duck, how that duck would benefit the community it was being sent to. Now, on her part, it took generosity, the idea that I'm going to give out of the abundance that I would have been giving to my grandkids to people who need it. But as grandchildren and and children of my grandmother, we all had to be content and come to the point and say, yeah, Grandma, we don't don't need anything. But there are people who do. And so we're going to be happy with what we have and we're going to be happy that you are giving to someone else on behalf of us. Be generous, be fair, be content. And if we're honest with ourselves, these are not easy tasks. As Andy and I were talking up here, and you heard when I asked him, you know, what if if your friend didn't have anything, would you be happy to share? And he, he, God bless him, he's a wonderful kid, but he paused, and he had to think about it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all do that. We all stop for a second and go, well, and then we have to be reminded, I can be content with what I have, and I can be generous with others. And by doing that, I can begin to create fairness in the world around me. It takes a lot of work. It takes us having to stop and think about what we have and it, has, and it takes us putting others above ourselves. John is telling us this morning that if we want to bear good fruit, we will start thinking about others by being content with what we have, generously giving, and making the world around us fair. And I think that when we're generous and when we're fair and when we're content, it is only then that we can truly understand joy. It's then that we're fully able to trust in God and to be truly thankful and joyful because we know that all the good things we have come from God. So let us turn our hearts to God that living out of discipleship through generosity and fairness and contentment so that we can prepare ourselves and the world around us for the coming of Christ this Christmas season. That we may do so with glad and pure hearts, as Isaiah says, to shout aloud and to sing for joy, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Great in our midst is the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us go to God in prayer. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we confess that we are so often very selfish. Not necessarily that we are trying to be greedy, but we, we're we uncontent with what we have. We feel like we need more and, and that we can't fully share with those around us. Help us to see that out of your abundance you have given us more than we could ever ask for help us to be content with what you have given us help us to then share generously with all those around us so that all people may know the fairness that comes from your grace live within us and lead us into being faithful disciples Lord, as we gather this Sunday, as we come to you during this time of offering, we offer our hearts and our gifts. Help us to be generous with what we have and with ourselves, that we may serve you completely. Amen.